Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrence. Concurrence is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrence is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. Hello, everyone. I am Eleanor Fox, a professor at New York University School of Law. And today I am introducing this podcast of Concurrence, the Antitrust Code podcast. And I am here with Frederic Genie, who is a professor at ASEC Business School in Paris. And you will know him as head of most international competition projects such as OECD. Frederick and I will be in conversation today and sort of artificially I'm called host because I'm opening this one and he's called guest, but we hope this will be a very interactive conversation on some of the cutting edge issues of competition law. This is podcast number one. We will do five, and this first one is the goals of competition law and the consumer welfare standard. So hello, good morning, Frederick. First of all, thank you very much, Eleanor, for inviting me to discuss this with you. Let me take two angles to talk about the consumer welfare standard. First, my economic hat, because after all, competition law is very closely related to economic analysis. Now, macroeconomic theory asks the question of under which condition will decentralized markets lead to an efficient allocation of all scarce resources? Now, in asking this question, economic analysis considers that suppliers and demanders both stand to benefit from market exchanges. Now, more competition, we learn from economic analysis, allows costs and prices to decline to the minimum of the opportunity costs of the goods and services which are produced. Now, this means that under competition, the output is as large as it can be, given the technology, given the intensity of consumer demand, and given the opportunity cost of the resources that are required to produce the goods and services. If we now compare a situation where there is a lack of competition, possibly because an anti-competitive practice, with a situation where there is competition, as the price declines, as more competition sets in, the price declines towards the minimum average costs and output increases. And there are gains both for the consumers who can enjoy consumer surplus on the extra units that they can consume and for the supplier who can sell extra units at a price which is above their marginal cost of production. So in other words, there is a gain in welfare, both for the consumer and for the supplier. So those are called the consumer surplus and the supplier surplus. They occur when economic agents maximize their interests and when there are no barriers to entry and no externalities on the market. The sum of those gains is the collective gains for society from competition. 
Therefore, as an economist, I think that total welfare, rather than only consumer welfare, should be the standard by which we judge whether a practice is illegal or not. This means that if a practice is anti-competitive but contributes to reduce the cost of products or the reduce the cost of services, the practice should be allowed as long as the gains from the cost reduction are larger than the decrease in consumer surplus, because in such case, there's a net gain to society. So this is in fact what Bork uh, was suggesting in the antitrust paradox, even though he unfortunately misnamed total welfare and called it consumer welfare. Now, there is no obvious justification in my mind for competition authorities to restrict themselves to the consideration of the promotion of consumer surplus. And the only possible explanation is that it makes their life more easy, but this is not much of a rational decision. Competition authorities have not in general given a clear indication of why they should only look at the effect of practices of consumer welfare. Now, this is the economic side. Now, if you ask me the same question, what should be the standard from the legal point of view, I would have a different answer. And I would say, well, the legal standard should be what is written in the law or what the Supreme Court has decided is the meaning of the law or the goal of the law. And that may be consumer welfare, but it may be many other things. I think that we will have other opportunities to discuss that. So thank you, Frederick. May I jump in with a kind of different formulation? It's actually not different because you first limited your first answer to the economic view. And I wanted to come in with perhaps a lawyer's view. If I ask myself the question, what are or should be the goals of competition law? And is the consumer welfare standard the standard? I would talk about it a little bit differently from the lawyer side. For me, actually, as with a very particular history of my journey through antitrust in the United States, I started to practice antitrust law when in the 1960s, when the law in the United States was still interpreted as being for diversity against power in a very broad sense and for the underdog. And the harder economics did not come in until Reagan administration in the 1980s. So I was there through the years of antitrust where there was a real concern about power and a kind of know it when you see it without asking the question, does this company cut back output and raise price? And very concerned about economic concentration, both because of social concerns, political concerns, and I would say economic concerns, but it was a kind of soft economics that fit in with the political picture. And I was there at the time that there was a revolutionary change in Reagan administration, which really went along lines that the economics was dominant. And what you started out with was exactly the kind of analysis and total welfare was actually preferred to consumer welfare, except that Bill Baxter was then under Reagan, the first assistant attorney general of antitrust, and he used consumer welfare in the revised merger guidelines 
because first of all, he thought it was easier than total. And secondly, he thought that the threshold was now so high that probably there would be an anti-competitive merger at the level of the thresholds he was looking at without letting the companies come in and nitpick about this was efficient and that was efficient. He probably thought he was getting to the total welfare. And then consumer welfare, starting from there, began to be touted as the or a basis of competition law. And so for so many years in the United States, um, we have been saying consumer welfare is the goal. But one really interesting thing happened that it turned out consumer welfare was called something very elastic, called different things by different people. And so there was one end of it that would more or less coincide with total welfare, but not even that was driven by assumptions that what firms did was good for total welfare, very strong pro-efficiency assumptions. And that became what is now our law of the Supreme Court today. Not that the Supreme Court is made up of economists, but because they are made up of individuals who have a more libertarian bent and like to keep the government out. So now in the US, we have this big continuum of people calling this thing consumer welfare, ranging from really meaning keep the government out to American Antitrust Institute, which is saying it's a very broad concept and it's really a lot about market processes. And we call it consumer welfare, not because it's only focused on the consumer, it's also focused on workers and suppliers who might be abused by monopsony. But everybody calling it consumer welfare seems to unite on one thing, we don't want non-market values incorporated into antitrust. And then, of course, there's the whole neo-grandis movement that says we do. So what's your reaction to that, Frederick? Well, I, I understand everything that you said, and I agree with your perspective. As I said, I mean, there are two ways to reason. One of them is from the economic analysis standpoint. The other one is uh, from a more legal perspective. Now, the view that you presented, by the way, as being the dominant view these days or being the view in the 1960s when you started your career, is fairly close to the view of the EU, really. In the EU, it's never been that the consumer welfare overtook, really, more general consideration of uh, concern with market power. That is one of the reasons, for example, why we are so much more active on abuse of dominance, because there is this idea that very powerful firms may create a lot of harm and that one doesn't want to let them uh, do it and that therefore one should uh, be very actively involved in monitoring their uh, behavior. Now, this is, I would say, a choice of society to be concerned about power. It really doesn't have much to do with economics, but it is completely legitimate. And I'm perfectly comfortable uh, with this. I think that we are living the era where the economies can be useful in the enforcement of competition law. 
and getting closer to the area where either the political scientist or the lawyer can be useful in interpreting what was the original goal, which was the, the only problem is that sometimes those goals are not explicit. So they are reconstructed or deconstructed by courts or by competition authorities, sometimes illegitimately. But in any case, what you have described is certainly fairly close to the uh, standard that is used in Europe and which seems to be a standard which is more and more considered favorably in the U.S., Yes, I think that's a good point, and that the two are fairly close, that the U.S., the older U.S., actually went too far, and at some point in the 1960s, it was condemning some conduct that was actually efficient and we would not want to stop, and that gave a big window for Chicago School to come in and say, look, there's a really different way to think about it. And then our law sort of turned on its head. However, I think that the older U.S. law capped with the idea that we want to promote pro-competitive conduct. We don't want to be rigidly prohibiting everything in the name of diversity. We really want to make the market work. I think if we say it that way, it's really close to EU law uh, because I see EU law also focused more in terminology. The cases don't say consumer welfare is the one and only standard. They often will say it is a standard And they will often say, and making the market work and market process is the standard. If I say to you, supposing we knocked out the word consumer welfare and we say that the law is about making markets work and market processes, and we want to have an environment that promotes what is efficient, pro-competitive, pro-innovative, we don't want to stop conduct that is efficient, pro-competitive, innovative. Would you be satisfied with that as terminology if you were the czar and could put that into the law and say consumer welfare means too many things to too many different people? We're looking at the market and the market working. Would you be satisfied with that? Or would you say, no, that's too broad and slippery slope? Um, I don't know whether it's too broad. I mean, first of all, I agree with the wording that you suggest. The problem I have is that it doesn't tell me really how I should look at uh, uh, market processes. Uh, Economic theory is certainly one way to look at it logically. And what it points to are the trade-offs, really. It says, fine, I mean, you may want to have less concentration, for example, but at the same time, you may have less efficiency So you may have more competition, but higher costs. So there are trade-offs there. Now, the uh, economic analysis take a particular stand, and the stand is what is the best possible allocation of resources. So one doesn't have to say that this is necessarily the thing that competition law wants to pursue. But at least economic analysis gives a fairly precise description of what are the trade-offs that one is going to encounter if one moves from let's try to uh, get the best possible allocation of resources, let's try to maximize total surplus to something a bit different, like let's uh, try to uh, make the market work better, because there are some interpretation of the market working better, which may not be exactly congruent to the view of what is maximizing total welfare. 
Thank you very much, Frederick. It's always a pleasure to converse with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You listened to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrence. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrence website where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Laws and join the Concurrence group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.